Welcome, and thank you for joining us on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption with Kelly Rourke Scary, where we delve into the issues of adoption from every angle of the adoption triad. Kelly is the executive director, president, and co-founder of Building Arizona Families Adoption Agency in Phoenix, Arizona, the Donna K. Evans Foundation, and the You Before Me campaign. She has a bachelor's degree in family studies and human development and a master's degree in education with an emphasis in school counseling. She was adopted when she was three days old. She was born to a teen birth mother raised in a closed adoption and reunited with her birth mother in 2007. Our goal with the Birth Mother Matters and Adoption podcast is to spread awareness and education about the beautiful choice that is adoption. Today we're going to be talking about the positive benefits and challenges of open adoption. And we're going to view this from an adoptive family's perspective. And that way, what we can do is kind of work backwards and see where the benefits are and where some challenges may present themselves. An open adoption can be very loosely defined. And what that means is to some, an open adoption may be they have all of the contact information for the adoptive family and the birth mother to each other. That's an extremely open adoption. That's not very common. It can also be letters and pictures with maybe a phone call once a year, or maybe it can be a variation of the two. The most common ones that I see are letters and pictures three times a year with a visit once a year for the first three years. And then families will often decide with the birth mother what their relationship will look like going forward after that three years. And it's always at minimum, if you have an open adoption, the letters and pictures, that's kind of a given when you're defining open adoption. So a benefit, an attribute of open adoption would be that the birth parents can remain in the child's life. And why this is so beneficial for the adoptive family and the adoptee along with the birth parents are they're able to kind of do this, quote, life together. And because the biological parents may not be in a position to parent their child, maybe it's financial, maybe it is um, there's a criminal court case going on, or there's a reason why they chose adoption. And so from an adoptive parent's perspective, their child won't have a question of, what sense of identity do I have? You know what I mean? They will be able to identify with the adoptive family along with the birth family. And it basically answers the child's questions almost immediately because you have that open communication. And so they can ask questions. They can get feedback. The child can have the best of both worlds. If the birth family is, you know, an appropriate, um, they're able to conduct themselves in a good manner and they respect the adoption, open adoption boundaries. So I think that with having the relationship continue after the pregnancy, after the delivery, after the bonding that may happen at the hospital, it just continues on and your family grows and it grows in a very healthy and and happy manner. And this, this does take management. I mean, this isn't an overnight relationship there, you know, trust has to be developed. Boundaries have to be established. You really have to have guidelines going forward so that it works for everybody. Another ongoing benefit of ongoing adoption is regarding medical. You know, if the child is a rare blood type, uh, if the child has some organ 
issues and you need to uh, receive some kind of a donation from the mother in terms of something medical or if uh, you have questions that you didn't originally ask about medical history, then you can go back and contact them and ask them questions. I think that it is also really positive because when I was growing up and I was in college and after college, when I would fill out all the medical forms, you know, I would take a deep sigh at the medical questions and write adopted across it. And they won't have to do that. Another thing that struck me as you were talking is I think about this ongoing relationship with them. A lot of these family or familial health issues aren't known until later. So, like, you know, yours was cut off at birth, basically, to where whatever they knew at that time was all you got. You didn't get anything that developed later that you realized, oh, they have this in the family, too. Right. And I didn't learn until I was in my mid thirties. And so that was a period of time where I had no idea. I also think that open adoption affords a sense of being able to understand yourself and identity. You know, it gives you that sense of, I don't need to find out who I am. I don't need to look for myself. When I found my birth mother, that was one of the things is that I really wanted to find out who I really was. And when you have an open adoption, your answer is right in front of you. You know, you are able to talk to the birth parents and find out more about yourself and about your history. I didn't know whether I was European or Norwegian or anything until I found my birth mother. And then what was interesting about that is then I did the Ancestry and 23andMe, and she was pretty much correct. (laughs) But... uh, it gave me a good indication. And so, you know, for me, that was really interesting because many people want to know more about themselves, more about their history, more about their identity. And again, with open adoption, that affords them the opportunity to do so. So I think that's a real benefit. I think it provides a sense of normalcy. So this is never going to be a situation where you're going to have a conversation with your child and tell them that you that they were adopted. They're going to grow up knowing that they were adopted. You're going to wipe away all the myths and fears of adoption because you're living it. And so, you know, when people say, oh, well, I heard that when you're adopted X, Y, and Z. Well, if you grew up adopted with an open relationship with your birth mother, all that's going to be washed away. And so these are amazing moments for the adoptive family to watch as their child grows up. It's amazing for the adoptee to have the best of both worlds. And it also is amazing for the birth parents because they're able to still be in a relationship with their biological child, even if it's not a parental relationship. Mm -hmm. Again, which would fall underneath the boundaries that are established. You know, sometimes people will create a special name for their birth mom. Uh, you know, together, the, the adoptive parents and the birth mother and the adoptee will decide, you know, we're going to call her honey or, you know, something like that. And so that that way there's a special name that designates her. I think sometimes when first names are used, that can be a little harsh for the birth mother because she doesn't want to be. Um, she wants a more that. personal like, connection. Yes. An interesting fun fact. When I met my birth mother. Um, her name is Donna and I was not allowed to call her that from the get go. <laughs> she insisted that I'm her mom, which was fine. And, uh, I know some people are like, Oh, but you have adoptive 
parents that you call mom. And I do. I do. Uh, I think it's some, it was important for her to be called mom because she wanted to quickly establish that connection with me. And she took on not really a parental role. I mean, I was in my mid thirties, but she was protective and she was a voice of reason sometimes, or she was a good, you know, somebody that I could go to and confide in. And those roles can be taken on by a birth parent when the child gets older. And I think it can provide a real sense of security and stability for a child. Do you think that her wanting you to call her mom was more due to the fact that it was later, that you were in your 30s, as opposed to had there been an open adoption, you might have had a different name, you know, tummy mommy or honey or whatever for her had that been the case. Yes. But since you were an adult by this point, she wanted that that connection. I do think that it would have been different. I I know that she felt very strongly about that familiar connection. Now, she is also from West Virginia. And so I heard probably a hundred times that I was her blood. That was just the thing that she kept going on and on. Like she was, you know, establishing her permanence and she was establishing, uh, I guess, lineage. And I got some some pushback from some some people that I knew at the time that I met her about calling her mom. Hmm. They felt like maybe that was away from my adoptive mom. And I never really asked my adoptive mom that. Maybe she <laughs> won't listen to this episode. <laughs> but I, I don't think that it would. It doesn't change me calling her mom. It doesn't change the previous 30 something odd years that I have called her mom, nor will it change that going forward. And I think sometimes you have to weigh out the pluses and minuses, you know, and just try to do the best you can. And in the moment, I was so nervous meeting her. It wasn't like I was really going to stop and and have this philosophical thought in my head. You know, should I? Well, shouldn't I? I was just going with it and trying to understand the unexpected, you know, because I didn't know what I was getting into. But it was it was nice um, to be able to call her mom. That was nice. That was something that was special to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, and again, if I'd had an open adoption, I would have had been able to have that relationship for a lot longer than I had right. because she passed away. Coming from an adoptee who is in a closed adoption, and that's all they did back in the 70s was closed adoptions. Open adoptions were exceedingly, exceedingly rare, mm-hmm. almost unheard of. I think that part of the reason that we didn't have open adoptions back in the 70s and, and around that era was really due to the, the fear that had developed from the Charles Lindbergh kidnapping situation where someone snuck into the bedroom and kidnapped the baby and they never found the baby. I think that there out of that grew fears like, well, if the birth family decides that, you know, they want their baby back, I'm terrified that they're going to find our address and they're going to crawl through the window and take the baby. And while I understand that, you know, people have anxiety and they have their fears and sometimes our fears aren't rational and sometimes they are. And having information and worrying about something like that, that's not something that, that happens. Uh Could it happen? Sure. Anything could happen. I mean, you could 
go to Hawaii and have a coconut hit you on your head and that's it, you know? So anything can happen, but it's so rare that, I mean, there's, it would be all over the news if that was to occur. Mm-hmm. We would hear, I've, I have never heard of somebody, some situation where a birth parent has snuck into a room and kidnapped their biological child. I have, I have not. Now that's not to say it's never happened. It may have. I haven't heard of it and been able to verify a story to that degree. There is a reason that a birth parent decided that they weren't able to parent their child. And in doing so, they made the loving choice of adoption. They didn't go through this whole process. So months later, they could you know, find out where their child was living and sneak in and take their child back. That's not, they gave their child uh, to this adoptive family for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a fear that we would need to walk through with an adoptive family if that was something they were concerned about. Because I understand that you still want to have your own family. And maybe if you have the birth parent involved, adoptive parents need to try to come forth and really think about being confident in their own skin and know that they're doing a good job and that way and not view a birth parent as a threat. When do you think the shift kind of started to happen towards more open adoptions? And was there a catalyst? Was there something that kind of changed Americans' perspective concerning adoption and and open adoptions? I have seen the the pendulum swing from closed adoptions to open adoptions. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're always have the couple open adoptions that were there, you know, when the closed was the hype and that was what everything was. I would say the shift probably happened in the 90s, towards the the second half of the 90s. And then when we started the agency in 2004, I would say 80% of them were open. And then it's just continually grown. Again, there's a lot of variations within open adoption. But I would say the real shift happened at the beginning of 2000. But we started seeing it come up at the end of um, the 90s. Okay. And I think that part of what was attributed to the shift was a couple of things. One, I think that we as a society became more knowledgeable about adoption and more thought education studies were done on it. Two, I think that there was a lot of interest in adoption because we started seeing a lot more international adoptions and the vast majority of international adoptions are still closed. And so some of the issues, concerns about that became more prevalent and more known because there was an influx of uh, the closed adoptions that we were seeing. When I was a kid and I would watch shows like Different Strokes, it really resonated with me because he was adopted or Punky Brewster. And those kind of things, those kind of shows really caught my attention because there wasn't a lot out there. And so for me personally, as an adoptee, I really found comfort in those. And I wanted to know more and more. And I think as we learn more about a topic in society, we open ourselves up a little bit to broadening what the way that we used to do things to how we're doing them now. But I think that's interesting. You bring that up. So whereas you watch different strokes and you could identify with it, I would watch it and it it gave me a different perspective, something that I wasn't aware of. So 
it helped me to understand adoptions. And I think that probably, you know, kind of permeated America in a way. And then, like you say, by the late 90s, that's when you start seeing Angelina Jolie and a lot of attention gets brought to it. So, yeah, it's it wasn't just one catalyst, but kind of a progression from the 70s through the 90s. That's interesting. And I think that in our society as a whole, learning more about adoption and, you know, positive adoption language and things like that, I haven't heard um, some of the phrases I used to hear when I was younger. So like, it wouldn't be unheard of because it happened to me many times where somebody would say, wow, it's really hard to believe you're adopted. And that one sentence makes you feel like, okay, I'm, you know, the redheaded stepchild at this point, you know, because you're like singled out and put in a different group. So again, sometimes adopted parents are worried that adoption may become too open. And what is that going to look like? And if we change from, you know, this type of communication schedule and this open adoption and we restructure it, what if the birth family wants more? And what if we're not comfortable with that? And, you know, are they going to want to be invited to Thanksgiving dinner? And like, what are we really looking at here? And what are we committing ourselves to? You know, a lot of times people are very afraid of making commitments And this is a lifelong commitment. So I understand that you really have to do your research and your education. The other thing, too, that you need to think about is from the birth parents perspective, you know, they're entrusting you to raise their child, to parent their child. They understand that they don't get to make parental decisions in an open adoption. And so an open adoption would enable them to not only watch from the sidelines, but they get to play a small role in that child's life because it really still is watching from the sidelines. Um, you know, this is not where the birth parent's going to move in next door and you guys are going to exchange keys. Like that's not at all what this is talking about. But I think, again, that's fear-based and they're afraid of how open the open adoption is going to become. The other fear is what I talked about earlier. It's the undefined roles. Well, what role is the birth mother going to play? Well, is that going to infringe on me as an adopted mother? Is that going to take away some of what I am supposed to do as a parent? Am I sharing that role and responsibility with the birth parent if I agree to an open adoption? And that can be intimidating. And just for clarity, this is not co-parenting. An open adoption is absolutely not co-parenting. You are not co, nor are you parenting. You are, this is an open adoption. And I understand that can be a a, a fear as well, um, that you want to make sure that the roles are not only defined, but that they are understood. Sometimes what I have seen happen, which is rare, because normally open adoptions go very well. And we've seen, I would say 95% of them at least are very positive. Where sometimes there's a hiccup is where something maybe hasn't been clearly defined between the birth parent and the adoptive parent. And somebody may get their feelings hurt when they don't get the answer to the question that they're looking for. I think it's really important if you're in an open adoption to make sure that you define the roles initially and revisit them maybe once a year to just go over like, Hey, heading into this year, let's go over, you know, what your role is, what my role is and make sure that we together can be cohesive. Another fear, which I would say would be as an adoption professional, probably my biggest fear would be unfulfilled promises. 
So what that looks like is if a birth parent comes in um, to the adoption, wanting an open adoption, and for the first six months, you know, she answers her phone, um, if that's part of your open adoption, she um, does her visits and the child knows who she is. So as time goes by, she starts to fade away. And that can be really hard for an adoptee. Um, And so some adoptive parents do have the fear of, well, I don't want to have too close of a relationship because what if it's not sustained? Or, and from a birth parent's perspective, what if they are residing in Arizona and, you know, one of their jobs is transferred to the East Coast? Then I'm not going to be able to have the in-person visits as frequently, if at all, or I'm not able to have the same level of communication and face-to-face time as I used to. And so that is another concern that could potentially be not a good thing for an open adoption. But like I said, it's, it's, it's not rare. Um, I would say, honestly, the biggest uh, hiccup has been that sometimes it's confusing as to, you know, well, I thought I was going to be able to come to this or attend that, or I thought I was going to, um, you know, maybe get to have another visit before the end of the year. And we had only agreed on two, but I really thought, you you know, since we've been getting on so well that I could have one more and, you know, making those assumptions. So that's what I've seen. Now, again, um, most open adoption are beautiful. And I think that even though there are some potential challenges, that doesn't mean that you're going to have them. And there's always a way to work through them as well. And so I think that if you focus with that in mind, it is positive. There are risks to anything that you do. There's always, you know, if you run to the, as far as you can go on earth, you're going to, you know, run into the ocean <laughs> and that's a risk. If you are going to keep running, you could wind up in the ocean's uh, shoreline, but I don't think you can go through life like that. I think you, you take it as it comes. And if you put the, you know, the boundaries in place, you revisit them. You talk about your expectations, the uh, birth family's expectations. Uh, you, again, make a real point in the beginning of solidifying your relationship and building that trust, especially during the pregnancy and in the hospital. That is where the foundation begins. And so it can you know, catapult you into, like I said, a beautiful, a beautiful life. We have a pregnancy crisis hotline available 24-7 by phone or text at 623-695-4112. Or you can reach us on our toll-free number 1-800-340-9665. We can make an immediate appointment with you to get you to a safe place, provide food and clothing, and help you get started on creating an Arizona adoption plan, or just give you more information. Check out our blogs on our website at azpregnancyhelp.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by looking for AZ Adopt Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to rate and review us on whatever platform you use to listen to us and tell your friends about us. Birth Mother Matters in Adoption was written and produced by Kelly Rourke Scary and edited by me. Thanks go out to Grapes for letting us use their song, I Don't Know, as our theme song. Join us next time on Birth Mother Matters in Adoption. For Kelly Rourke Scary, I'm Ron Rains, and we'll see you then.